I'm Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Monday Mindset Mindset Podcast, Podcast. where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 105. And this week, it's Daisy's turn to share what she would like to talk about from Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. Well, Terry, I am following on from you with chapter nine, the title of which is Places We Go When We Search for Connection. And as usual, she groups together some, would you call them emotions? I'm not sure, not necessarily, but words. (laughs) She groups some words together. Uh, Belonging, fitting in, connection, disconnection, insecurity, invisibility, and loneliness. Now, if there was a chapter that she wrote specifically for me, this would be the one. (laughs) Because this, I remember when I listened to it the first time and when when I listened to it again to make the notes, and it reminded me of so many of my counseling sessions, and so, yes, this, this really sort of kind of goes to the root, I guess, of one of my main issues. And I'm sure there will be some listeners out there who feel the same way. There are two big things really in this episode. There's belonging versus fitting in, connection versus disconnection. Yeah, there are some other things I mentioned. We'll touch on those. But these are the really big things. And she starts with belonging versus fitting in. And she says, it's important to belong to yourself as much as to others. Any belonging that asks us to betray ourselves is not true belonging. And love and belonging, as I'm sure we are all aware of, are core needs for all of us. And in the absence of love and belonging, there is almost always suffering. And what makes belonging essential for us is that we are a social species. We can't survive, basically, without one another. And she talks a bit about her book, Braving the Wilderness, which I must go and listen to, because if there was a chapter written for me, it sounds like there was a book written for me too. So I must go and listen to that. Um, But this is a book about what it means to belong in an increasingly divisive world world, which uh, I'm sure we're all very aware of, especially if we spend any time on social media. And she talks in this chapter about various um, studies that she's done and um, study participants and the feedback they give her. But uh, with one, she, she asks, what are people trying to achieve by belonging? And the general things here are to be a part of something, connection with others, but not at the cost of losing your authenticity and your power. The the problems come up with this us versus them culture. And she said that they talked about a spiritual disconnection, which she goes on to describe as a diminishing sense of shared humanity and rather a shared fear and disdain. And there's that phrase again, shared humanity. You go back to the episode where we talked about compassion and shared humanity was a key component. So if there's this 
diminishing sense of shared humanity that of course implies that there's a diminishing amount of compassion going on which is not going to be a good thing belonging with this shared humanity connection gives you a feeling of freedom that you can be yourself without being socially rejected and it's good of course to recognize difference but to know that we are all inextricably connected this is the core of this shared humanity and then of course she goes on with some there are some really great Brene quotes and one of them is that true belonging does not require us to change who we are it requires us to be who we are when we work too hard to try and fit in we actually risk not truly belonging she says that belonging and self-acceptance go hand in hand because true belonging is being true to yourself and contorting yourself to try and fit in actually betrays yourself and your values but she says that belonging is not passive people often think that it is it does take risk and it is often quite uncomfortable if we sacrifice who we are we feel separate from others but also disconnected from ourselves and she talks about one of these studies that she did um, she says there were eighth graders i'm not sure what age that is she mentioned middle school 13 so to 14 i'm thinking in the u.s i was gonna say sort of young adolescence yeah and she asked them to say what they thought the difference was between belonging and fitting in and some of the things they came up with were were very on point so belonging is being somewhere you want to be and they want you versus fitting in is being somewhere you want to be but they don't care one way or another belonging is being accepted for being you whereas fitting in is being accepted for being like everybody else belonging is if i get to be me i belong fitting in is if i have to be like you i fit in she goes on to talk about belonging uncertainty and there's some really interesting stuff here about marginalized groups and it talks about diversity anti-racism not going to go into that it's too deep and detailed a subject for me to cover here but i really recommend you go and listen to it there's a great personal story from someone who works for her organization called paola sanchez valdez which is a brilliant personal account which illustrates the point perfectly so I recommend you uh, you go and listen to that. And then she goes on to talk about connection and disconnection. Talks a little bit about grounded theory, which is basically the type of research she does. Again, interesting. Go and listen to that. I haven't got time to cover it. <laughs> but so her definition of connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. And this, I think I referred to it in another episode. I was trying to remember which chapter it was from, and it's this one. 
And connection is when someone can give and receive without judgment and they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. Disconnection, on the other hand, is more often than not very painful and chronic disconnection can lead to social isolation, loneliness and a feeling of powerlessness. And she talks a little bit how disconnection can cause actual physical pain. It shares the same neural pathways as physical pain. And she says that the best way to heal it is to talk about it. And this was one of the parts where it reminded me very much of a counseling session I had with my counsellor. And this disconnection, this feeling of powerlessness. I can remember relating to him how I had sometimes these screaming tantrums. I related to him this this uh, time when I, I can't remember what I'd done, but I wasn't allowed to watch my favorite television program, which was a police drama, this amazing policewoman. I used to want to be a policewoman because I watched this called Juliet Bravo. And my punishment for whatever it was I'd done, I can't remember what it was, was that I couldn't watch Juliet Bravo. And of course, that was back way before the days of video or anything like that. So if you didn't watch it when it was on, that was it. Your chance was gone. And I can remember taking myself off to my bedroom and screaming. And I remember recounting this to my counsellor and he said, you do realize <laughs> you weren't screaming about not being able to watch Juliet Bravo. It was about other things. It was about the powerlessness you felt about the, the frustration, the disconnection, the feeling like you were an outsider. And yes, it was all wrapped up in you know, my mother's new relationship with uh, my stepfather, with my baby sister coming along with, you know, all these things and not feeling like I could talk about them, express them. So they came out in these screaming tantrums sometimes. But when, you know, when I was listening to this, and I think that 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 for me was a key thing, this powerlessness, the powerlessness you often feel as a child. And you get a bit more sense of agency as an adult. But it's interesting, I think, how that can translate into creating a context where it makes sense. I think I've spoken about this before, where you can, as an adult, you have the agency to change your context to to make sense of the things you're feeling relationally with other people. In, in my case, that was maybe to move to France to create a physical distance that explains that distance that I was feeling and that disconnection. I'm going off on a tangent here, but you can see why <laughs> it resonated with me quite a lot. And talking about this disconnection, she says there are a couple of things that you need to be very cautious about. And she quotes a researcher called Trisha Rocky. And I have written the quote down in entirety here because I think it's really interesting. And no, Bets, you cannot come up on my lap right now. Why do you always do it when I'm talking to Terry? Mm. Go on, go away. 
To avoid pain and vulnerability when efforts to achieve connection are unsuccessful, individuals may enact their own disconnection strategies, like hiding parts of themselves or discounting their need for others. They may learn that it is safer to keep their feelings and thoughts to themselves rather than sharing them in relationships. This means that rather than making a bid for connection and having the bid ignored or rejected, we hide out and pretend we don't need anyone. I thought that felt awfully familiar. (laughs) And then she says, the other thing to be cautious of is perfectionism. People who are high on the perfectionism trait scale behave in ways, and we have talked, we have touched on this before, in ways that cause perceived and actual rejection by others. I.e., my perfectionism leads me to show up in ways that lead people to push me away. Perfectionism is about trying to avoid being excluded or rejected, but... (laughs) often ends up by exactly that happening. And she comes back to authenticity and says that authenticity is a requirement for belonging and fitting in is a threat. Authenticity is a requirement for connection and perfectionism, which is a type of fitting in, is a threat. And she talks about insecurity. And we often think of this just as, you know, being sort of self-doubt or lack of confidence. She says there are three main types of insecurity. Domain-specific, this is things like food and finances. Relationship, interpersonal, and this can be specific uh, to a, a specific relationship or an overarching feeling about all your relationships. The one she focuses on is general or personal insecurity when we are overcritical of our weaknesses. And the opposite to this is self-security, which is the open and non-judgmental acceptance of one's own weaknesses. And she says that she found really interesting is that you can have high self-esteem, but still be insecure personally. And this, you know, this this just ties into the whole um, perfectionism aspect. But coming back to being compassionate, especially with ourselves, self-security is positively correlated with self-compassion. The more self-secure you are, the more compassionate you are towards the messy, imperfect parts of yourself. And the more accepting you are of your imperfections, the less you experience shame, proneness, neuroticism, fear of negative evaluation, self-aggrandizement, and relationship conflict. People who are more secure are more willing to be vulnerable with others. It makes sense really, doesn't it? If we are comfortable with our own messiness, our own imperfections, i.e. if we are self-secure, we're more successful at being emotionally close to others and more likely to have healthy relationships. And the problem with personal insecurity is that it can lead you to behave in ways that push other people away. Back to the same thing with 
tied in with perfectionism or to pull away from others out of the fear of being rejected. And the fear of being hurt can push you to show up in ways that increase the likelihood of being hurt. So all these sort of negative cycles that if you find yourself in, really difficult to get out of. She does go on to talk about invisibility. It's not something I'm going to go into now. uh, She talks about dehumanization. And again, very, very interesting. And I have a feeling she goes into this in more detail in another chapter because there was something I thought was in this chapter that isn't. But again, talking about race and diversity and dehumanization, very important things she has to say about that. And then last but not least is loneliness. And she talks about how this is a really, really significant health threat. Loneliness is a perceived social isolation. We experience loneliness when we feel disconnected. And at the heart of loneliness is the absence of meaningful social interaction. And she does say, and this is something I reflect on quite often, very, very big difference between loneliness and being alone. A lot of people, especially if you're an introvert like me, value very much being alone and aren't bothered by that. I think some people are so really don't like spending time just in their own company. And I'm sure that's a whole other episode. But, you know, being on your own and loneliness are quite often confused. They're very different things. Loneliness can tend, can make you tend towards self-preservation or of not connecting for fear of rejection and the antidote she often talks about what is the antidote the antidote is seeking connection and I'll just finish off there was an interesting statistic there's a 45% increase in mortality rates for people living with loneliness it's a high contributing factor to many illnesses and deaths but also can prevent healing if you don't have those social connections and that support. She quotes and talks about Dr. Vivek Murphy, who's done a lot of work in this area. I think we're also learning a lot more about this in the times of COVID, Mm. where social isolation has been more prevalent. Physical connection with others has made emotional connection with others maybe more challenging for a lot of us. And We're seeing the negative consequences of that um, isolation, disconnection, difficulty connecting, and loneliness. Yes, and I think also all the things, like I mentioned at the beginning, these problems with us and them and this belonging versus fitting in. And when things like that play out with the space between you that you get with social media you know people say things that they wouldn't say if they were in a room with you so I I think yeah this it's just been this sort of perfect storm hasn't it of all sorts of things coming together we're really getting to this point where we've got to look into these things more and address them 
I think, yeah, as you just said, we've become much more aware of it. And I think we're going to continue to see the ramifications of it in our health statistics and other ways of measuring people's kind of quality Mm -hmm. of life. One of the things that stood out to me in listening to you describe all of this, Daisy, is, and I know this is true in all of her chapters, really, but how each of these things connect with each other in a way that it's hard for me to even Mm. put together. But personal insecurity may lead me to feel less like I belong or perceive less belonging, which makes me feel more disconnected, which makes me fear taking the risks to be more genuinely myself. You know, it's that they're all so intertwined. And as you were talking today, I was really just trying to think of how I related to this chapter and then each kind of feeling state or word that you were describing. And I have so often said to people this or tried to express this feeling of not belonging. And I don't think it's that I've been thinking of it as fitting in. It was truly a sense of I've always felt like I don't belong anywhere. Mm. And I think it really started feeling like I didn't belong in my family, seeing myself as very different from my family in numerous ways, then feeling I didn't fit in completely in social environments. Sure, I had friends. I I was president of my class. I was on homecoming court. Like All the things that look like I was very connected. But my internal experience of it was that I never belonged. And then even into adulthood, searching for social circles where I felt I belonged. And and it's just been a lifelong quest. And I imagine from listening to parts of what you said, not unique to me, that it's it's an ongoing challenge for many of us of not feeling like we belong and seeking places where we belong But if we've learned through other examples, the damage of not belonging, the fear of risking being authentically ourselves and risking being rejected. And so all this kind of manipulating maybe and covering and choosing what parts of ourselves to share, I just think it's such an intricate process that most of us do in navigating these concepts. Yes, and I wonder how much the different learned experiences become something that is your normal, that actually works works okay for you. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day and how, you know, some people are, are more joiners and want to do group things. And I have a lot of things on my doorstep now. I'm not in the middle of nowhere in France where it's where it was quite a challenge to be with other people and to connect and you know yes of course I did have connections but it's very very different here but I actively seek to spend most of my time on my own and I'm happy with that and I am happy with that it's not a case of just putting up with that you know, I often steer things in that way. You know, I one of the reasons I go swimming when I do is because it's I'm pretty well guaranteed to be on my own and listen to my audio book and do my own thing, you know. So I wonder how much you 
create something for yourself, but that you actually end up happy with. Mm. I don't know. I, I've always been fortunate to have to have meaningful connections with people. So I don't have the experience of mm -hmm. true loneliness. I've I've carried friends with me from childhood. I've made new friends like you online. So I've I have always had people that I've had these meaningful connections and relationships with. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. All sorts of things that you think about and I'm trying to figure out, you know, am I was I always a natural introvert or have I sort of steered my way towards that and found a way to be happy with it? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Who knows? <laughs> also, the um, part where she talked about her discussions with those eighth graders was really striking to me. And I remember one of them saying something about the worst... I can't remember exactly the quote, but basically the worst way of not belonging is they explained in your family. Yeah. And they said something about when your parents aren't interested in your life. And it makes me just think about how do we assess whether we belong? What cues do we use to determine that? What vibes are we getting because I don't think anyone ever said to me, you don't belong. Clearly you don't, you know, you're not like us or something. It's never been stated. So how do we pick up on that? Or did I pick up on things that weren't even intended to mean something, but mm. I interpreted them to mean disconnection and that I didn't belong? So it just gets me going into all these kind of deeper thoughts of, how much of that was real, how much of that was based on perception that maybe wasn't accurate. And um, Well, children are such emotional creatures, aren't they? That's yeah. how they live and perceive their environment and very good at picking up on things that, mm -hmm. that like you say, are not... Well, not, not necessarily there, but, you know, the parent might be saying something... But what they're saying is not what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. I think children are very good at mm -hmm. picking up the feeling behind it. Very, yes, lots, lots of rabbit holes that you Absolutely. could fall down there. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, it was kind of funny because I've listened to this chapter, I think, three times now. And every time I did not take notes. It was just listening. I'm like, well, next time I'll take some notes. Well, next time I'll take some notes. But it was just this kind of nebulous listening to all mm. these floating concepts. And then I thought, well, I'm glad Daisy's doing this chapter because <laughs> I don't have any notes for this chapter. Just one that really caused me more reflection and thinking. Yeah, it's definitely a difficult one to put down. But like I said, it's the, it's the one that really sort of felt like it went straight to my core. So, yes. I think we've probably got at least another one or two more episodes of Brene. So I think so. I look forward to seeing which chapter you choose. Could it be 10? I <laughs> <laughs> can't even remember what 10 is. Everything goes in and out my head so quickly at the moment. Well, until then, I hope you have a very wonderful week. I'm too dizzy. Take good care, everybody. Bye-bye.